Section 24 of Stories from the Opera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wilkie Mills. Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. Section 24. Nikolai the Merry Wives of Windsor. There dwelt at Windsor during the reign of King Henry the Fourth a certain fat, jolly knight named Sir John Falstaff, and in all fair England there was not a merrier old fellow than he. Many were the tales told of his mad escapades in company with gay Prince Hal and his companion Poins and many a round dozen of mischievous pranks and roguish tricks could be laid to the charge of the fat knight of Windsor. As may be readily guessed, one who led such a harum-scarum careless life was not overburdened with riches, but although Falstaff lived chiefly by his wits and, be it admitted, occasionally by the depredations of his three rascally followers, Bardolph, Nim, and pistol, his portly form did not grow less for lack of goodly cheer, neither did his mighty thirst suffer for want of endless cups of sack. Nevertheless, at one time the gay old knight found himself with a more than usually light purse, and appalled at the doleful prospect of restricted conviviality, he presently conceived the brilliant idea of providing himself with a couple of sweethearts in order to replenish his fallen fortunes. He therefore wrote two love-letters, word for word alike, save for the names of the individual charmers, and sent them to two calmly housewives of Windsor, Mistress Ford and Mistress Page. And since the husbands of these good dames were prosperous and of good standing, he hoped that his love-making would secure to him many substantial gifts to say nothing of providing him with a pleasant way of passing his time, since both the ladies were still sufficiently young and well-favored to prove attractive subjects for a flirtation. He made the letters as flattering and full of sentimental phrases as he could devise, and in each he finished thus, quote, Thine own true knight, by day or night, or any kind of light, with all his might for thee to fight, John Falstaff. Closed quote. When, however, Mistress Ford and Mistress Page received these amorous effusions, and, being friends and confidants, had compared notes and discovered the letters to be precisely the same, they were at first very indignant that respectable dames should be thus addressed by such a well-known rake as Sir John Falstaff but soon guessing the reason for his sudden expression of affection they set their quick wits to work to hatch a merry plan whereby they should make the fat old knight the laughing-stock of the town as a penalty for his audacity they therefore determined to make a pretense of encouraging his advances in order that they might bring on him the anger of their husbands and with this object in view they sent a letter to Falstaff, inviting him to visit Mistress Ford at her house next day, informing him 
that her husband, who was of a very jealous disposition, would then be safely out of the way. Meanwhile, other little plots were also afoot in the two households. Mistress Page had a very pretty young daughter, the charming Mistress Anne, who had at this time no less than three suitors for her hand. Her father desired her to wed a youth named Slender, who, though foolish and a timid wooer, was rich, whilst her mother favoured a ridiculous and fussy old foreign admirer, one Dr. Caius, but pretty Mistress Anne herself had already fixed her choice upon a somewhat poor but handsome young courtier named Fenton, whose sincere love for her she had quickly returned with as deep an affection, and in spite of the machinations of her father and mother, she was determined to wed none other than he. To her father's choice, she said, quote, Oh, what a world of vile, ill-favored faults looks handsome in three hundred pounds a year, close quote. To her mother's choice, she said, quote, Good mother, do not marry me to yond fool, close quote. But to her own beloved Fenton, she said, quote, I am yours for evermore, close quote. In the Ford household, too, another plot was brewing, for Mr. Ford, having heard from Falstaff's servant Pistol, who had now conceived a spite against his fat master, that the reprobate knight was carrying on a desperate flirtation with Mistress Ford, his jealousy was quickly roused, so that he set about making plans for exposing the pair. When the amorous old knight appeared at Mistress Ford's house at the appointed time, he was enthusiastically received by the lively dame, who pretended to accept his advances with every sign of favor. But very soon after his arrival, Mistress Page entered the room in haste, and with simulated fear announced that Master Ford was approaching in a great rage, accompanied by Master Page and a number of other friends all bent on dragging forth the lover whom they believed to be in the house. Falstaff, in a great fright, eagerly begged for protection, having no desire to meet the jealous husband, and the two women quickly hid the timid knight in a huge buck-basket, a receptacle for dirty clothes, which they had set ready for the purpose, stuffing his portly form in amongst the soiled linen. Then, covering him over with a cloth, they called two serving-men, to whom they gave instructions to carry the basket away to the meadow washing-ground, bidding them also in an undertone to tumble the contents into the river close by. As the servants departed with the wash-basket, Ford entered, full of jealous fury, declaring that his wife had her lover hidden in the house, but after vainly searching for the ponderous knight he was greatly mystified, and determined to pay a visit to Falstaff in disguise in order to learn his plans. Meanwhile, the would-be lover had received a very unexpected ducking in the river, but though his unpleasant experience damped his ardor for the time being, he soon grew enthusiastic again next morning as he sat with his boon companions in the garter inn, quaffing deep draughts of sack, and rejoicing over a second letter from Mistress Ford, in which she invited him to visit her again that day, as her husband would be out a-hawking. 
just as he finished singing a jovial song in praise of good wine, Master Ford entered in disguise, and introducing himself by the name of Brooks, asked Falstaff to help him in a love affair, declaring that he had fallen in love with the charming Mistress Ford, but was too timid to plead his own suit. He offered the knight a fat purse for needful expenses, and Falstaff, nothing loath, accepted this unexpected windfall with great alacrity, boasting that he could easily arrange the matter, since he would be seeing Mistress Ford that day. Ford then retired, having thus gained the information he needed, and Falstaff departed to keep his appointment with Mistress Ford, who again received him with pretended favor. Very soon, however, as again arranged between the two friends, Mistress Page interrupted the roguish old knight's love-making by rushing into the room with the news that Master Ford was returning in a greater rage than ever, declaring that if he could catch his wife's lover this time, he would certainly kill him. These alarming words put Falstaff into a woeful trembling, and he sought wildly for a hiding-place. This time the two dames quickly hustled him into an upper chamber, bidding him don the clothes of a certain fat old fortune-telling woman of Brentford, whom they had invited for this very purpose. Whilst Mistress Page hastily arrayed Sir John in the fortune-teller's gown, Mistress Ford endeavored to persuade her irate husband not to search the house, as he wildly insisted upon doing, and she declared that no other stranger was there save the fat woman of Brentford, who happened to be visiting her that day. This, as the wily dame expected, roused Ford's wrath still more, since he had a special dislike for the old fortune-telling hag, whom he had forbidden to enter his house again. And when Falstaff presently appeared in the fat woman's gown, he was roughly seized by the angry husband and treated to a sound cudgeling ere he was permitted to depart. Both the merry wives were by this time convulsed with laughter at the success of their plan, and they now told their husbands the whole truth of the matter, so that Ford's jealousy quickly vanished, and he sought pardon from his wife for his doubt of her. After peace had been thus happily restored, the friends decided to carry the joke a little further still, and to give Falstaff a third scare as a final penalty for his many misdeeds, and it was arranged that they should lure him to Windsor Forest at midnight, and there lead him to suppose that he was being attacked by fairies, goblins, and other supernatural beings. Mistress Ford therefore invited her ponderous admirer to meet her in the forest at midnight, promising to lend him a pair of stag's horns for his head, that he might disguise himself as Hearn the Hunter, in which garb, if any of the townsfolk should chance to see him, they would quickly run away in terror, looking upon him as a spirit, for at that time there were plenty of superstitious folk to be found who believed in the legend of Hearn the Hunter, which was as follows. In an age gone by, a certain famous hunter named Hearn had impiously slain a stag beneath the sacred oak tree, which was always regarded as a place of refuge to hunted creatures, and for this misdeed his spirit was condemned to wear the stag's horns 
and to hunt in the forest at midnight for evermore, accompanied by a phantom train of fellow hunters and dogs. It was arranged that a pretty Mistress Anne should appear in the forest arrayed as the fairy queen, accompanied by a troop of children, disguised as elves and gnomes, and page, Ford, Slender, Dr. Caius, and Fenton, would also appear as various other unearthly beings to assist in the teasing and tormenting of Falstaff. Master Page and his wife, unknown to each other, also determined to use this masquerade as a means for carrying out their opposing wishes with regard to their daughter's marriage. So Anne was first secretly commanded by her father to wear a red gown, that she might thus be recognized by Slender, who meant to run away with her, that they might be married that night by the priest at Eton, and soon afterwards she was stealthily desired by her mother to don a green robe, that she might be noted by Dr. Caius, with whom the crafty dame had arranged a similar elopement. But Mary Mistress Anne herself decided to wear bridal white garments, arranging with her beloved Fenton that he would know her thus, and could slip away with her to the priest at Eton before the other suitors could find her, and in order to complete the confusion, she directed Slender to wear a green robe, and Dr. Caius a red one, in the masquerade that they might thus run away with each other in mistake for herself. On the appointed evening, Falstaff, disguised as Hearn the hunter, appeared under the sacred oak in Windsor Forest at midnight, and very soon after Mistress Ford and Mistress Page appeared also. The two merry dames, enjoying the joke immensely, encouraged the fat knight in his extravagant and absurd love-making, but presently, hearing weird noises and seeing strange forms approaching, they pretended to be terrified and fled away shrieking, leaving the frightened Falstaff sprawling on the ground, for in attempting to run away also, he had tripped and fallen. The prostrate knight was instantly surrounded by the band of pretended fairies, gnomes, and sprites, and pretty Mistress Anne, attired in a flowing white robe as Titania, drew near and sang, Fairies, black, gray, green, and white, you moonshine revelers and shades of night, you orphan heirs of fixed destiny, attend your office and your quality. About, about, search Windsor Castle, elves, within and out. Strew good luck, oaths, on every sacred room, that it may stand till the perpetual doom. In state as Holton, as in state tis fit, worthy the owner, and the owner it. The several chairs of order look you scour, with juice of balm and every precious flower. Each fair installment, coat, and several crest, with loyal blazon evermore be blessed. And nightly meadow fairies look you sing, like to the garter's compass, in a ring. The expressure that it bears, green let it be, more fertile fresh than all the field to see, and oni swaki mali pence, right, in emerald tufts, flowers purple, blue and white, like sapphire, pearl, and rich embroidery, 
buckled below fair knighthood's bending knee fairies use flowers for their charactery away disperse but till tis one o'clock our dance of custom round about the oak of hern the hunter let us not forget as falstaff listened to these words he was filled with alarm believing that he was indeed surrounded by supernatural beings and sharing the common superstitious notion that it was death to look upon or speak to the fairies he buried his face in his hands and lay still upon the ground hoping they would presently vanish but the supposed fairy queen now sang out a further command about him fairies sing a scornful rhyme and as you trip still pinch him to your time pinch him fairies mutually pinch him for his villainy pinch him and burn him and turn him about till candles and starlight and moonshine be out at this command her lively followers all set upon falstaff pinching him and pricking him with their toy darts uttering strange wild cries and indulging in loud peals of eldritch laughter and the tormented knight not daring to stir and fearing he knew not what soon began to bellow for mercy whilst this ludicrous scene was progressing fenton in the guise of oberon drew near to anne whom he recognized by her white gown and taking her by the hand hurried away with her to eton where the priest they had notified quickly married them and slender and dr caius the one in green and the other in red also joined hands and slipped away together each believing the other to be mistress anne in accordance with the directions given them by the supporters of their suits when the merry wives were fully satisfied that their corpulent and audacious admirer had received a sufficiently severe pinching and thorough scare to teach him not to make love to respectable married dames again they set him free and revealed the true identity of the weird company of tormentors and when all had enjoyed a hearty laugh at the old reprobate's expense in which the jolly falstaff bearing no malice readily joined the masquerade came to an end then to the amazement of master page and his wife slender and dr caius both appeared full of blustering wrath at the trick which had been played upon them by saucy mistress anne and which they had not discovered until they had reached eton and whilst the disappointed suitors were bewailing their loss the two arch plotters fenton and anne arrived also on the scene and confessing their successful ruse sued for pardon this was readily granted by the parents who good-humouredly admitted that they had been outwitted by these determined lovers and page remarked well what remedy fenton heaven give thee joy what cannot be eschewed must be embraced and falstaff merrily added when night dogs run all sorts of deer are chased but ford said in love the heavens themselves do guide the state money buys land and wives are sold by fate after this the whole party trooped back to master page's house to enjoy a wedding feast 
and in deep draughts of his favorite beverage, Falstaff quickly drowned all remembrance of the teasing he had received at the hands of the Merry Wives of Windsor. End of section 24